This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. It's episode 272 of the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast, and it is here. It's time for our annual Best in Beer episode of the podcast. We are dropping this and the digital issue in this amazing feat of timing so that you all can consume the digital content and listen to this very podcast for some background and context around all of those things all at the same time. Joining me from Thailand is Joe Stang. Hi, thanks. Great to be back. Always nice to be on Joe and I have spent a lot of time working on this, along with uh, some of our other Best in Beer contributors, our critics, a um, number of our writers. Uh, we've gone through an elaborate uh, process of blind tasting, as well as considering all of our top scores through the uh, through the course of the year and all of our regular issues. We'll talk a little bit about our methodology. Before we do that, I, would, I just want to mention that our Brewers Retreat, our 2023 10th Anniversary Craft Beer and Bring Brewers Retreat, is sold out. It's Yay! sold out. Um, if I know, I know. It's going to be uh, an experience for the ages. We are so excited about it. Um, if you have missed out on tickets, uh, go to uh, brewersretreat.com. There is a waiting list. And if for some reason some people cancel, there may be spots that become available. There may not. You know. Anyway, just sign up again on the list there if you're really interested. In it. Uh, if you're a brewery in planning, tickets are going fast for our next Brewery Accelerator event in Fort Collins in February. Go to breweryworkshop.com for more info. I think that's about 50% sold out right now. It's exciting to see some good momentum around that. And of course, uh, you know, as people have heard, we've had some, we had a fantastic year with a number of, uh, you know, past brewery accelerator attendees winning GABF medals and really building, uh, building a name for themselves in the world of brewing. It's exciting for us to see that. Um, of course, if you're a brewer wondering how you can send us beer for review and consideration for things like the annual Best in Beer issue, go to beerandbrewing.com, scroll down to the page footer. Click on the Help Center link, and right there you'll find a Help Center article called Getting Your Beer Reviewed in Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine. Uh, it's pretty self-explanatory there. It has our editorial calendar, deadlines, shipping info, everything that you need in order to uh, participate in our program. Uh, we don't charge people to submit beers. We do hope that you are an all-access subscriber if you are a brewery and submitting beers, but uh, it's not like a competition where you have to pay for individual entries or anything like that. Uh, big thanks to all of our sponsors that make it possible for us to bring you this podcast every week. And of course, it's exciting to see so many increasing and continuing their support in 2023. Uh, I know we've got uh, like at least five sponsors all in for all 52 episodes next year. Um, and the whole thing's almost sold out. It's kind of cool to uh, to be at this point of the year and have all our 2023 already figured out. Um, thank you to all of them. You know, it uh, we do put a lot into this in terms of time, travel, and expense, and their support is what makes the difference in this. Let's get down to it. The digital edition of the Best in Beer issue has been emailed to all of our subscribers. Print copies are scheduled to arrive within the next week on Friday. This Friday, we'll drop the Critics List podcast with Kate Bernat, Stan Hieronymus, Courtney Eisman, Alex Kidd, and of course, Joe. Um, they'll be uh, with me on that episode of the podcast to share their favorite beers, their hot takes, and their growing trends of the past year. It is another Don't Miss episode on top of this Don't Miss episode, so of course, tune in for that. Um, before we get into the winners of each of the categories here in this Best in Beer podcast, let's talk about our methodology 
But first, for nearly 30 years, GD Chillers has set the mark for quality equipment you can rely on. GD stands above the rest as the only chiller manufacturer that engineers your glycol piping for free. GD also stands alone as the only chiller manufacturer with an in house team of installers and engineers with 30 years of real world field labor experience in breweries, wineries, and distilleries. Contact the Total Glycol System Design Experts today at gdchillers.com. Also, still emptying those overflowing waste bins full of low fills, crushed and damaged cans, or undercarbonated beer every canning day. It's time to fill like a pro. Email contact us at probrew.com for more information on Pro Fill Can Fillers from Pro Brew. Pro Fill Can Fillers use rotary true counter pressure gravity filling and seaming technology to run at speeds of 100 to 300 cans per minute with less than 30 parts per billion DO pickup and less than 1% product waste at the filler. Stop wasting perfectly good beer. Email probrew at contact us at probrew.com today. Probrew is a subsidiary of Technoblend, now a Promoc brand. Um, Joe, let's talk about methodology. Um, explain the way that we do this for everybody. Well, we've got the, the survey that goes out and you all fill it in and answer a bunch of questions. Um, some of those questions, uh, most of those questions actually are, you are simply writing in an answer. We're not giving you a multiple choice in a lot of them. Uh, even the ones where there is a couple multiple choice, we're giving you a chance to write in other answers, like, uh, for example, favorite hop varieties, that kind of thing. But for the most part, you're just telling us what your favorite beers are and telling us what your favorite breweries are. And we have to sort through, actually, mostly you, Jamie, have to sort through some kind of messy data to, to, to make it work. And, you know, typos and things, but uh, it all comes together into this, I think, a really kind of unique uh, among uh, readers' choice lists that you'll find anywhere that this, these are not just, you know, these are, these are really are your favorites. It's, it's a lot of work going through and cleaning up that data. Um, but we do firmly believe that if, you know, if we gave you multiple choices for your favorite brewery, then we're going to get the answers that we give you. And, uh, you know, we don't do that in this. We want true reader answers. It takes a little longer for readers to fill out this survey. And my goodness, it's a little bit of work to figure out that somebody gave, you know, gave us an answer of zombie dust when they really mean something like three Floyds. Um, but having the contextual knowledge that we have, we're able to kind of manually correct that and understand what their intent was in those voting. Uh, we don't just throw out the ballots because the, the chads are hanging. Um, you know, we do our very, our best to figure out what your intent was in this voting. And I think that it makes a difference. Uh, um, at the same time, it's really fun to see what people come up with and how some of these things shift from time to time, uh, or how, you know, there, there are definitely some, some get out the vote efforts that we see within that data. It's, it's always fascinating to see how those things push. And then of course, within our editorial picks, uh, describe the editorial pick process for everybody, Joe. Well, the, so the, a, a chunk of them are coming from our highest scorers during the year, uh, in the magazine, uh, different review panels are in there, depending on the themes of the issues and things. So IPA issue, logger issue, we're getting some 9,900 score, 100 point beers. Sometimes uh, beers don't even have to score that high to, to make it into this conversation. Um, and we just have a healthy respect for our judges and for the, for the blind uh, review process. And then at the end of the year, we get all of your uh, submissions uh, for best in beer tasting and we do it again blind. And, and this is uh, uh, me and Jamie and Stan, and we get a couple of our other judges too. And, uh, Kate couldn't make it this Usually year, unfortunately. Usually Kate or not. Yep. Kate couldn't make yeah. it this year, unfortunately. But, but uh, you know, we just are like any other judging table. 
uh, and we've all got a lot of judging experience. So, so it's um, we have a healthy respect for that process, and it's always first of all it's an honor to get to do this. The best breweries in the country sending us there. Hey, this is the best we got. Good luck, and um, and to get to taste those. So many are so good. And then have to figure out which of those are really going to rise to the top. It is super fun, obviously. And we were very lucky to get to do it. And, but I just, um, there's, it, it's a, a really great process for finding some of the best beers in the world that maybe you wouldn't come to otherwise. I'll say it again. We believe in scoring everything blind. If you ever see a score for something in Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine and it has been scored blind, that is the only way that we review beers, um, you know, through that kind of blind scoring process. And it's the exact same process that we then use through our best in beer tasting, even though we don't go through the full scoring process for some of those best in beers, uh, trying to move quickly through all of those submissions. Um, We do do it entirely blind amongst the judges because that is the way to find valid uh, opinions about beers that are not connected to preconceived notions about a brewery or what they are doing. Um, having said that, we're, let's kick off with some reader reader choice, um, some uh, some charts that came out of our reader survey, and uh, we'll kick it off with your favorite breweries. We break these out by size, um, and we broke into some different categories. We actually broke down those categories a little differently this year. Um, the first category is small breweries, fewer than 10,000 barrels per year. Count that down for me from 10 to 1, Joe. Right. So your top 10 small breweries are number 10, the Austin Beer Garden Brewery in Austin. Number 9, also in Austin, Jester King. Number 8 in Seattle, Cloudburst. Number 7 in Vermont, you got Hill Farmstead. And number 6 at Brussels, Cantillon. At Chicago, number 5, Off Color. Uh, Wayfinder in Portland is number four. Your number three favorite small brewery is the Beerstadt Lager House in Denver. Your number two in the Chicago area in Lake Zurich, Illinois is phase three. And your favorite small brewery that is fewer than 10,000 barrels per year is Green Cheek in Orange County, California. Fantastic. Let's talk about small regional breweries. These are 10,000 to 25,000 barrels per year. Uh, per year. Count those down from number 10 for us, Joe. Okay. So from number 10 in Monterey, California, you've got Alvarado Street. Number nine out of Austin, Pint House Brewing and Pint House Pizza. Number eight out of Seattle, Rubens Brews. Number seven, The Brewery in Placentia, California. Out of Vermont, and number six is The Alchemist. Out of Santa Rosa, California, number five, Hen House. Trillium is number four out of Boston area, Massachusetts. You got Hop Butcher for the World at number three at Chicago. Your number two small regional brewery is Weldworks in Greeley, Colorado. And your favorite small regional brewery, again, that's 10,000 to 25,000 barrels per year, is Burial in Asheville, North Carolina. So many, so many fantastic breweries in that list. For mid-sized breweries, mid-sized regional breweries, this is 25,000 to 100,000 barrels per year. Um, Let's start with number 10, Joe. And the number 10 is a brewery that has been just acquired in a deal that uh, closed this week. That's right. It's Modern Times, San Diego. Number nine, Lawson's Finest 
from Vermont. Number eight out of Chicago, Half Acre. Love me some Daisy Cutter. Number seven, Other Half out of Brooklyn. Number six, mid-sized regional brewery is Freem out of Hood River, Oregon. Number five out of Seattle is Fremont Brewing. Out of Chicago, another one, Revolution Brewing at number four. Number three, Bear Republic, Cloverdale, California. Number two, another one from Massachusetts is Treehouse. And your number one favorite mid-sized regional brewery, again, that's 25,000 to 100,000 barrels per year, is Russian River in Santa Rosa, California. It's been fun to see some folks get into that category who were in the next lower category. Folks like other half uh, have, have moved up and uh, are cranking out more beer and, uh, you know, bumped up a category. Uh, but also nice to see some folks finding bigger audiences that way. Last category is large breweries. This is 100,000 plus barrels per year. And let's start with number 10. Number 10 out of Bend, Oregon is Deschutes. Number nine, your number nine favorite large brewery is New Glarus out of Wisconsin and only in Wisconsin. Number eight, Dogfish Head out of Delaware. Number seven, New Belgium in Fort Collins, Colorado. Number six out of Portland, Maine, Allagash. Your number five favorite large brewery is Founders in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Number four, Firestone Walker, Paso Robles, California. Number three is Lagunitas, Petaluma, California. Now we got two left. You can probably guess who they are, but who's going to be first? Number two, Bell's Brewery out of Kalamazoo, Michigan. And then who's missing? Number one, your favorite large brewery in the country is Sierra Nevada out of Chico, California. Let's shift to the next category that we're, or next categories that we're going to go through uh, are from what we call who brews it best. Of course, uh, looking at breweries just by size doesn't tell the entire story. Breweries might specialize in specific things. So we ask you and we ask our readers, who are your favorite breweries in each of these categories? Let's start with the favorite American IPA brewery. I should also say that in the magazine, these go 20 deep. We're only going to give you the top 10 on each of these, just as we did for the last, um, because uh, you need to go read the magazine for the full story on all of this. So we're going to give you the top 10 from each of these. The first in the favorite American IPA brewer category, number 10, Firestone Walker, number nine, Lagunitas, number eight, Stone, number seven, Green Cheek, number six is Bells, number five is Breakside, number four, Sierra Nevada, number three, Bear Republic with their entree into the list in the number three spot this year number two uh from my hometown here odell brewing and number one again for like i don't know how many years in a row now uh from santa rosa california is russian river joe why don't you count down favorite hazy ipa brewers for us all right your number 10 favorite hazy ipa brewer is the alchemist out of vermont number nine is other half number eight monkish Number seven, Weld Works. Your number six favorite hazy IPA brewer is Green Cheek. Number five, Bear Republic. Again, popping up there on the list high. Number four, Sierra Nevada. Number three, Hot Butcher for the World. Jumping up to number three from number eight last year. Appearing on the list out of nowhere at number two, Odell. And your number one favorite Hazy IPA Brewer, again, is Treehouse. 
Let's talk about your favorite Saison brewers. The number 10 spot, Off Color from Chicago. And the number 9 spot, Sante Adarius from Santa Cruz. Number 8, Omegong. Number 7, Side Project out of St. Louis. Number 6, Funkworks out of uh, Fort Collins, Colorado. Number 5, Allagash out of Maine. Number 4, Hill Farmstead. Number 3 from Austin, Texas, Chester King. Number 2 on the strength of Tank 7, Boulevard Brewing. And in the number one spot, Brasserie DuPont uh, with their classic right there. Uh, Joe, let's talk Abbey Style Brewers next. All right. Well, number 10 uh, out of uh, Quebec, we have Unibrew or, you know, Unibrap as a lot of us like to say. Number nine, The Lost Abbey. Number eight, West Mala out of Belgium. They make a few Abbey Style beers over there. Number seven, New Belgium out of Fort Collins. Number six, West Bletrin. Uh, again, the classic. Number five, another classic, Rochefort. I'm glad to see the Trappist beers appearing on favorite Abbey styles. <laughs> it's just kind of where they belong. Number four, Allagash. Kind of, this is why we ask the questions yeah. in these ways, yeah. right? You ask right. the question in a specific way, you well, get a specific answer, and here we are. Yeah, I mean, I'm biased, but um, you guys are getting it right. <laughs> Number four is Allagash. Number three is Chimay. And number two, Omagong. And your number one favorite brewer of Abbey style beers is the St. Bernardus Brewery out of West Flanders, Belgium. Uh, next, let's go into favorite sour or wild ale brewer. Sorry to use the word sour, Joe. Uh, don't hate me for that. <sighs> In the number 10, <laughs> the tart, favorite tart or wild ale brewer. Thank you. Uh, number 10, in the number 10 spot, uh, uh, we have Odell. Number nine, Urban Artifact, a uh, brewery that specializes in uh, these sour beers. Number eight, DeGard from Tillamook, Oregon. Number seven, Cascade from Portland, Oregon. Number six, the brewery in Placentia, California. Number five, Crooked Stave out of Denver. Number four, Side Project out of St. Louis. Number three, Jester King again. Number two, Russian River Brewing. And in the number one spot, once again this year, Cantillon from Brussels. His favorite stout or porter brewer is up next, Joe. Out of Decorah, Iowa, number 10 is Toppling Goliath. Number nine, favorite stout porter brewer is Bottle Logic. At number eight, we have, again, Bear Republic. Number seven, Firestone Walker, jumping up from number 15 last year. Number six, Side Project out of St. Louis. Number five, Deschutes out of Oregon. Number four, favorite style of Porter is Goose Island out of Chicago. Number three, North Coast. Your number two favorite style or Porter Brewer is Founders out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. And your number one favorite style Porter Brewer in the world is Guinness. I'm not wrong. Number, uh, sorry, next up is favorite pale ale brewer in the number 10 spot. We've got Hot Butcher. Number nine, we have Green Cheek. Number eight, Toppling Goliath with their pseudo Sioux pale ale. Number seven, Dale's pale ale. Oscar Blues is your favorite pale ale brewer in the number seven spot. Breakside is number six. Half Acre is number five. Uh, Three Floyds is number four. Uh, number three is Bear Republic. Number two, Odell. And in the number one spot, um, taking this category with a runaway vote. I mean, literally, there's no other category in this entire uh, you know system of votes by style where one brewer wins by such a margin. It's Sierra Nevada, of course, with their 
classic pale ale. Like they literally get like five times, six times the next closest brewery in votes. It's it's just never, it's not even close. Um, but let's finish this off with favorite lager brewer. Uh, count us down, Joe. Right. Uh, this is a fun one because so many of the, well, the, because lagers can become a bigger thing among smaller breweries, right? And so many of these are localized. So it's interesting to see what people pick out as their favorites. Uh, not always what you'd expect. So number 10, Odell is your 10th favorite lager brewer. Number nine, Augustiner out of Munich. Number eight, Bear Republic. Number seven, Samuel Adams, the Boston Beer Company. Number six, Green Cheek out of Orange, California. Number five, Goldfinger appearing on the list. Number four, Chuckanut out of Washington State. Great stuff there. Number three, Jack's Abbey out of the Boston area. Number two, Dovetail out of Chicago, and your number one favorite lager brewer in the country or the world, perhaps, is Beer Stock Lager House. You can tell there's some brewers that are filling out this list right here, mm -hmm. of course, right there. Um, awesome to see it. Congratulations to all of our brewers in these top tens for all of these categories. Um, it is no small feat to, to get mentioned uh, by enough readers in our survey to make the list at all much less that top 10. Congratulations. Trophies go out to the number one spot in every one of those categories. Show them off and be proud. Let's move to favorite beer cities as voted by you. Top 10 in the United States in the number 10 spot, St. Louis, Missouri. Number nine, Seattle, Washington. Number eight, Santa Rosa, California. Number seven, Portland, Maine. Number six, Fort Collins, Greeley, Colorado. Number five is Portland, Oregon. Number four is San Diego, California. Number three, Denver, Colorado. Number two, Chicago, Illinois. And in the number one spot again, second year in a row, Asheville, North Carolina. Joe, count down the number 10 international cities for us. All right. the Your number 10 uh, favorite international beer city. And I, I think there's some probably some leeway here, like, cities that you've been to and cities that you just really want to get to. We get it. Number 10, Antwerp, Belgium. Number nine, Bruges, Belgium. Number eight, favorite international beer city is Amsterdam in the Netherlands. Number seven, Copenhagen, Denmark. Number six, Bamberg, Germany. Number five, top international beer city is London, England. At number four, Beating out London is Dublin, Ireland. Number three, Prague in the Czech Republic. Your number two favorite international beer city is Brussels, Belgium, while your top pick, whether you've been there or you just need to get there for Oktoberfest, is Munich in Germany. Those one and two remain unchanged from last year. Uh, definitely powerhouses in the world of beer cities. Let's talk about your favorite beer bars. Again, uh, we've got a list 20 deep of your favorite beer bars in the magazine. We're going to count down the top 10, starting with number 10, The Map Room in Chicago, Illinois. Number nine, Yard House. Of course, a chain with various locations. Number eight, Novari Res, a place with just one location in Portland, Maine. Number seven, another uh, spot, Flying Saucer, with a number of various locations. Number six, another with just one, Church Key in Washington, D.C. Number five, the classic Monk's Cafe in Philadelphia. Number four, Bitter Creek Ale House in Boise, Idaho, uh, jumping up on the list. Number three, 
Tap and Handle from my hometown in Fort Collins, Colorado. Number two, Toronado with a couple of West Coast locations. And in the number one spot this year out of Chicago, the classic hop leaf. Next up is our reader's choice for top 50 beers of 2022. But first... Looking for innovation in your next beverage breakthrough? Think outside the puree box and let your brand stand out with Old Orchard's Craft Concentrate Blends. Even smoothie seltzers can benefit from the extra boost of flavor and color. Old Orchard is based in the greater Grand Rapids, Michigan area, also known as Beer City, USA, and supplies craft beverage categories ranging from beer, wine, and cider to seltzer, spirits, and kombucha. To join the core of Old Orchard's brewing community, learn more at oldorchard.com slash brewer. Also, packaging beer can be a daunting task, but buying cans shouldn't be. American Canning provides packaging supplies at competitive prices in order quantities catered to craft. Think single truckloads and a half height pallets rather than million can minimums. For a smooth packaging experience, also consider their ultra-compact single-operator canning machines. Pricing begins at $25,000 with quick six- to eight-week lead times on most equipment. American Canning exists to help share your craft in cans. Learn more about their ecosystem of solutions at AmericanCanning.com. All right, let's dive right into our Reader's Choice Top 50. Um, we, of course, this whole list is, is 50 uh, deep, but we are only going to give you the top 25. And once again, I'm going to sound like a broken record when I say it, but go back to the magazine and go check this out. Read the full list in the magazine itself. Number 25, North Coast Old Rasputin. Number 24, Treehouse Julius IPA. Number 23 is Highland Park Timbo Pills. Number 22, New Belgium Fat Tire. 21, Firestone Walker Pivo Pills. Thank you. Thank you. Number 20, Odell Lagerado. Number 19 is Lawson's Finest Sip of Sunshine. Uh, number 18, Breakside Wanderlust. Number 17, Bourbon County Stout from Goose Island. Number 16, Pilsner Urkel. Number 15 is Half Acre Daisy Cutter. 14 is Russian River Blind Pig. In the 13th spot, we've got the Alchemist Heady Topper IPA. Uh, Weldworks Juicy Bits is there in number 12. Freem Pilsner is number 11. And Joe, why don't you give us the top 10 reader's choice favorite beers of 2022? At number 10, we've got from Beerstadt Lagerhouse, the Slow Poor Pills. At number 9, we have Saison Dupont from Brasserie Dupont. At number 8, Sierra Nevada Celebration. It's that time of year. Number 7, Guinness Extra Stout. At number 6, Allagash White. And for your top 5 of your top 50 beers of 2022, Bell's Two-Hearted IPA. At number four, Bear Republic Racer 5 appearing on the list. At number three, Russian River Pliny the Elder. Number two, Odell IPA jumping up from number 32. And your number one favorite beer, Reader's Choice, is Sierra Nevada. What can I say? Our readers have fantastic taste. All right, now we're going to move away from readers' readers' choice for the moment and talk about editors' picks with our top 20 beers 
of the year, the top 20 beers of 2022, uh, as determined in a couple of different ways. As we mentioned before, our primary focus on this is our top scores throughout our blind review process throughout the year. And so, you know, beers that have were their top scores in each category were instantly thrown into our broader pool for consideration for this. And then, of course, we tasted beers into that same consideration pool through our tasting for best, the best in beer issue. Uh, it was hard, especially in some of these categories. If we had top scores that are already there, like for example, we do an entire issue of stout, like for a stout to get in through the blind tasting process for the best in beer issue was really hard. And in fact, I don't know that, and I think, I don't think any of them actually made it in through that process. I, I might have to correct myself later on. Um, you know, or IPA was a tough one. You know, again, once we've gone through an entire issue, tasting hundreds and hundreds of IPAs, uh, you know, we're certainly going to give um, precedence in that kind of scenario to those beers that score best with our judges. Nonetheless, some things we did, we did discover some, you know, quite a few interesting, creative, uh, mind-blowing, and captivating beers from this process. Uh, but the first beer on our list is one that our judges selected with a perfect 100 score. Why don't you tell us about Aude Birzel, Aude Guz, uh, Vier? Right. Well, this is uh, a, a phrase that we, you know, we use in the write-up is this is one of the most award-winning beers on the planet over the past 20, 15, 20 years. And that's because, uh, yeah, Christians, he, he enters the beer in a lot of competitions and he wins. Uh, and again, respect for the blind judging process. This is essentially a perfect beer. Uh, and it's one of my favorites also because compared to some of the other beers that maybe people talk about more, it's accessible. You can find it and it's relatively affordable. Um, so to have this, you know, kind of stroll into our blind panel and get a hundred is no surprise to me. I've been drinking it for years. So if you haven't, um, I, I think you should check it out. There's also, um, you know, he, people associate out versus Thompson with the, with the bone brow, right? But, but. Ged is doing his own thing, and he, he's a blender in his own right, and, and doing increasingly creative things with things like green walnuts and, and other fruits. But um, he never has stopped dialing in the flagship uh, beers and, and creek. And so this is uh, a beer that is good enough to be on this list any year. This just happens to be the year. A perfect one hundred. The next beer on our list also scored a perfect one hundred. Fonta Flora brewery out of Nebo, North Carolina, based in a beautiful farm out there in Nebo. Um, you know, Fontaflora, you know, they're, the beers, we, we've written about them a number of times, of course. Uh, they've been on the cover of our Brewing Industry Guide. And, uh, you know, we've had we've written about them in the court, even within the scope of writing about local ingredients like a bloody butcher corn. Um, they've always taken a very creative approach to ingredients. It's actually interesting that this beer has, has is more down the you know down the middle of the of the, uh, the plate to use an, a World Series analogy because it's ongoing right now as we're talking about this. Um, you know, this beer is a bourbon barrel aged stout, and uh, yeah, it. The you know it's funny when I look at the judges on this. It was uh, the judges who scored this one through our blind tasting panel were Patrick Dawson, uh, you know, a, a known author in that kind of beer spaces, and Stan Hieronymus was the other judge on this panel. Both of them, I specifically put them on non on barrel aged beers without adjuncts, knowing that that would be in their wheelhouse. And yet, you know, this beer stood above a lot of fantastic beers, a lot of really incredible beers. Um, and it, it stood out with this kind of clarity intention. Um, 
you know, this, uh, they, they managed to pull off both of this, you know, kind of idea of sweetness without cloying, um, you know, and also just these hints of, of character that don't overwhelm like Venice red fruit, you know, a little nutty chocolate. Um, but the way that they've pulled it all together with this kind of light honey sweetness and this kind of dry nuttiness that plays in this tension against it, um, just made for such an, an artful experience. Um, yeah, it's no wonder that it scored a 100 with some highly qualified, very experienced judges in this kind of category. Um, and even as I've gone back to it since to, to, to think about it some more, uh, it, it's, it just captivates me every single time. What's next on our list, Joe? Well, this is a, a brewery uh, that we've written about in our brewing industry guide. And I think probably we can hope to see more of them in our, uh, in our, in our craft beer and brewing magazine as well, because we'd love to to get into Ben Howe's head and, and how he brews lagers. So this is from other lands in Bellingham, Washington, uh, the, the Haleduda Special. And this is a Polish-style Pilsen. This is one that came out of the uh, the Best in Beer blind tasting, and it was a no-doubter at the table. It was just, we all loved it. Um, and it's um, thing that one of the things that makes it stand out uh, is those Lublin hops. I love Polish hops, and Lublin has this lovely, like, pillowy floral quality to it like almost like a herbal tea or something it just adds something a different dimension than you get for example from a, from a typical czech pilsner most of the time um so it's it's czech-ish it's light 4.4 percent abv it drinks so easily it's got enough bitterness to it there's i mean it's plenty of bitterness really a crisp frame uh and it's just so easy to drink really delicious compelling aroma really well made enough mold to hold it all together good czech mold um and uh, also, maybe we should mention we've got a recipe for it, thanks to Ben um, and Carolina for, for this beer in the magazine. So, uh, so definitely check it out and definitely get up to Bellingham and drink some lager other ones if you get the chance. In talking about this, I was just inspired and had to go grab the last bottle that I have of it out of, uh, out of the fridge. The one bottle left over from this tasting. And, uh, you know... We fell in love with Otherlands. We were out there in 2021 on a on that podcast tour, and we had gone out thinking, you know, Chuck Nut. We've got to get to Chuck Nut and go uh, talk about loggers, and that was our goal. And when we got there, of course, it, it lived up to every expectation. But every brewer in town was also like, "Have you been to Otherlands? Have you been to Otherlands? <laughs> you guys, have you guys been to Otherlands yet? You know." And uh, and this is our mo: like go in with a, an idea. But then just listen to brewers because brewers everywhere we go will tell us who we need to talk to, who they like, where they like to go drink. Um, and we follow those leads. I mean, it's a, that is our editorial process. And that's why we try to get around to so many places. And uh, everyone, everyone in Bellingham was talking about other lands. And for good reason. Um, they're doing something special there. We're really, yeah, it's exciting to be able to highlight what they're doing. So, Joe, what's next on our list? Uh, we're going to, we're going to, uh, go to an entirely different part of the country going down to Atlanta, Georgia next. Well, this is a brewery that if it, you know, uh, when it, I figured eventually it would be a best in beer pick and when it happened, it would be a lot. And no, in fact, uh, from halfway crooks out of Atlanta, it's the sanguine. Um, this is, it's, it's, what do you call it? A blonde ale, hoppy blonde ale. That's what it is. Uh, it's, it's got a distinctive strut to it. It's not, um, you know, we're being into beer. We drink plenty of IPA and tropical and citrus and everything. And this this one has much more like noble forward uh, character to it. Um, but it's really hoppy and it's bitter and it's dry. And it's just um, 
it was another one at the at the table. We're just like, yeah, we love this. We don't know what it is, but it's good. Uh, and when it turned out to be Halfway Crooks and Madalaga, that was like kind of a double surprise. Um, you know, Stan and I are at the table, and we both like bitterness. So maybe we're giving away like the 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 secret plans to how to get on this list. I don't know. Maybe not. It's not that easy. <laughs> but there's, there's so much more going on with this beer. This this ex- expressive fermentation. That definitely reminded me of Brasserie de la Seine when we were when we were tasting it. Um, some fruity esters and and this zesty hop character, and it all comes together beautifully into this just highly drinkable beer with a ton of character. And, um, just can't believe I haven't been there yet. I'd love to get the halfway crooks, drink a bunch of beer, and do it again the next day. You know, we haven't done a pod- yeah, we haven't done a podcast with them yet. I'm gonna. That's a good reminder. I need to book a trip to Atlanta and get the heck down there. Um, just just fantastic and of course we've appreciated the contributions from those guys that did a great story with us on uh, brewing belgian uh, style pilsner and their pintje i mean so many of these beers that we've had from them this year have just been real real standouts um next on our list going uh, back to that chicago greater chicago area phase three p3 czech style dark lager um you may be forgiven if you would assume that phase three might make this list for a barrel-aged stout or even a hazy IPA, both of those are the kinds of things that they spend a lot of time. Uh, they've spent a lot of time honing and specializing in. Um, but you know, the lager program at Phase Three is this kind of sneaky thing. You know, part of it is that like if you're going to make lagers in the Chicago area, they better be good. Like they have to be damn good. And if they're not damn good, then no one's going to pay attention to them. So many amazing lager brewers in that broader area. You know, of course, we've talked about art history. Um, and in this very issue, there's a, a breakout brewer story on art history and what they're doing in the lagers. Dovetail, of course, has been a past uh, you know beer of the year for craft beer and brewing. Um, their Hellas is just sublime. And the entire program, I mean, it's just just really, really incredible. Um, within Lake Zurich, we had it last year. One of our beers of the year also came from Lake Zurich, but it came from Roaring Table. I don't know what's in the water right there in Lake Zurich, but something, something special is happening right there. Uh, nonetheless, our, our blind judges absolutely loved this Czech style dark lager. Of course, the entire style is on the up and up. Uh, we're seeing more and more examples of it from breweries all over the place. You know, but this one had that really nice, like you know, floral and spicy hop edge. You know, it was there? It wasn't uh, wasn't over the top. Um, it all pulled together in this beautiful kind of cohesion. You know, those dark notes were a lot like I, I described it as more insinuation than enunciation. You know, they were they were there. It just pulled together in this, you know, just this kind of beautiful way. Um, maybe maybe a touch roastier, you know, than, uh, you know, purely Czech iteration of this style of beer. Um, you know, but of course for our American palates, it was absolutely right there. You know, I don't think this is anything that anyone will ever light up the trade boards for. Not that there's really much of a world for trading beer anymore. Thankfully that all seems to have kind of, um, petered out in terms of profit seeking and, uh, you know, the other weirder aspects of that. Um, but nonetheless, like, uh, you know, have your regular trading partner from Chicago throw these in as some extras and you will not be disappointed next on the list is an ipa there's not a lot of ipas in this list joe i mean there are some mm-hmm. but i mean you know if ipa is 40 percent of the craft beer world it's not 40 percent of our best and 
best in beer list. Um, the Highland Park Competition IPA. This one stood out through our best in beer tasting. And like I, sh I, sh I should say, um, it was no small feat to do that because we were biased against any IPA sent to us. All of those breweries that got my reminder for beers to submit to this uh, read my exact comments about it. Don't send us IPA. The chance of your IPA making it through a tasting in this kind of context and rising above all of our top scoring IPAs from the IPA issue. I mean, you're basically looking at a statistical anomaly to even, even be considered or even make it there. Um, but Highland Park and their IPA approach uh, rose above and uh, hit that kind of point where we just had to talk about it. Number one, and I think we should all get this out there, is a couple years ago, Highland Park started making all of their IPAs with lager yeast. And so while this is not technically a cold IPA because there's not an adjunct component to the malt um, and that's not their exact approach to it, um, they are pursuing that kind of colder or warm lager yeast fermentation in a way to drive esters down and capture this beautiful, sleek, um, you know, we could call it crisp kind of hop flavor. Um, you know, certainly not as dry as, uh, you know, those lighter loggers or West coast pilsners. Um, but such a beautifully structured beer that allows that hop character to shine without having to overdo the hop character in that and get into some of the more unpleasant levels of hop character in that this one, you know, has all of those pieces, pine forest and tropical fruit, you know, that bit of nostalgic grounding. Um, but there's also this kind of beautiful minimalism at play where, uh, you know, it leaves that open space, that kind of negative space that allows you to fill in those details um, and creates a beautiful experience in IPA um, that feels full without overdoing it. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of what Highland Park is doing in the IPA space. And uh, this beer, uh, even though uh, this was really you and Stan pushing for it through that tasting process and getting it in there, uh, what a what a phenomenal beer! I would also just add, uh, definitely check out the issue because we've got a really cool uh, sort of rumination on this topic of using lager yeast for ales and ale yeast for lagers uh, from Sam Tierney, uh, the Firestone Walker Propagator Brewery in in, uh, in Venice, California. And it's, a very pragmatic kind of historically oriented view of, of it. And I think no matter how you learned about beer, it's a mind better to think about ales made with lager yeast or lagers made with ale yeast. Um, but from a pragmatic professional view, it makes some sense. And we're seeing that obviously with cold IPAs and, and we're finding out more uh, IPA brewers that are, that are, that are doing it too. So pretty, uh, pretty interesting yeah, stuff for if sure. If you're that kind if you're that kind of brewer that's like, well, you can't call it an IPA if you made it with lager yeast, just read Stan, uh, read uh, Sam's article and then come talk to me. We'll continue with our editor's picks for best beers of 2022 in a sec. But first, ABS Commercial is a full-service brewery outfitter proud to offer brew houses, tanks, and small parts to brewers across the country. They stock equipment ranging from three barrels to 90 barrels and offer custom-designed equipment up to 900 barrels. Contact one of their brewery consultants today at sales at abs-commercial.com to discuss your brewery project. ABS Commercial, 
We are brewers. Also, craft the perfect pour with superior fruit from the perfect puree. Picked at the peak of ripeness, the fruit is pureed and frozen for optimal fresh flavor and color. But don't just take their word for it. Experience flavor firsthand by curating your own complimentary sample box at perfectpuree.com slash beer. That's perfectpuree, P-U-R-E-E dot com forward slash beer. Samples are complimentary for brewing professionals only. So the next the next one on our list uh, is someone I just did a podcast with uh, the other week. Sapwood Sellers. Yeah, the two authors, uh, Scott Janish, who wrote the new IPA, and Michael Tonsmere, who wrote American Sour Beers. If you don't know the story already, they got together and started a brewery you know, four or five years ago, uh, called Sapwood Cellars in Columbia, Maryland. And, um, uh, you know, when homebrewers and writers start breweries, it could go a bunch of different directions, but these guys have just this like kind of super curious experimental, you know, scientific approach to things, constantly tinkering and playing with things and dialing things in. And they've been brewing for a long time, even if it was, you know, even if they were award-winning homebrewers before, uh, they know what they're doing. And, um, they the beers coming out are, are really good, even if they're uh, they don't make it too far out of that uh, that region. Um, so this was a beer um, I visited there to talk to them for uh, a breakout brewer profile, and this was one of the beers that they opened. And when I tasted it, it was, I mean, I knew already it was one of the best beers I was going to have all year. And I told them, "You guys need to send this in. Like it's really good." Um, so they sent that. And couple other things in for the best in beer tasting and again blind tasting but um there was you know <laughs> there wasn't a lot of doubt about this beer it's called neologism uh it's a mixed fermentation beer aged in it's a it's a essentially a you know tart blonde ale aged in gin barrels uh first for months and then um so you've got uh, they you're using different mixed cultures there and so they don't necessarily have names for all of them but they keep track uh, what makes this one really different, although it's not, you know, it's, I mean, I think it's a growing trend, dry hopping mixed fermentation beers. Uh, and so this is dry hopped with Cascade Cryo and Simcoe Cryo. Um, and it just all came together so beautifully. You get the, those, uh, bright citrus notes and tropical notes, but they integrate beautifully with the, um, pineapple-like bread and the, uh, the the botanicals that are still hanging around from the gin barrels and it and uh, it just it's it's none, none of it's too much the bitterness is there but it's not overdone the acidity is is just at this really drinkable level it's five and a half percent abv so this is not a, a huge bruiser of a, of a beer um despite how long it took to make it's just um incredibly complex yet incredibly drinkable and beautifully integrated. It's a really nice beer. And the cool thing too is it integrates their expertise as well. Michael Sonsmere is the sour beer guy uh, and Scott Janish is the IPA guy. So you've got this tart beer that's dry hopped and it just really works. And I'm really excited to see what else comes out of there in the, in the next years. When I was there a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, I had more beers in the same kind of vein. A beautiful beer. There was a hazy pale ale wart that had been whirlpooled and then dropped into a barrel with the mixed culture, didn't rinse the barrel, put it straight in, picked up that mixed culture. Uh, and then once that had fermented, they then dry hopped it again. And so it had this 
like hazy IPA meets mixed culture, you know, Brett uh, kind of and wild sack character. Absolutely mind blowing, phenomenally delicious. Uh, and I love this kind of uh, this mixing of the streams, this playing between, you know, coloring outside the lines and finding new spaces for beer that Sapwood is doing. I, it's incredibly creative, but not just creative in a, oh, that's interesting kind of way, creating creative in a, holy crap, I love drinking this kind of way. <laughs> and this completely works, you know? Um, and I, I will tell you this too, Joe, I had a, they had a Tom Kagai IPA. Ah, cool. That was <laughs> phenomenally good absolutely love it um some really creative brewing so stoked on sapwood sellers and i'm obviously super excited to to feature them here we'll definitely get one there. Of I our mean, favorite get there to visit i mean it's uh it's not easy because columbia maryland is kind of in between our town so it, you can get to it if you're visiting baltimore it's a more of a hole from dc but it can be done um or if you just you know maybe you can figure out your stopover in bwi because it's a pretty manageable taxi ride from from uh, Baltimore, Washington International Airport. So however you do it, you should definitely try to get in there for a beer because the locals there are getting to enjoy most of this stuff. Absolutely incredible. So good. And uh, and there's still there's still so much room for where they're going to go with this. Can't wait to see where they go next. Next up on our list is a very well-awarded beer, a beer that has won uh, one World Beer Cup and three JBF medals so far. Um, they finally sent some to us for our uh, our reviewers to taste this year in our lager issue. And Figaro Mountain Danish Red Lager earned its spot as the top uh, lager in its category there and naturally became a, a shoe-in for us to feature here. Um, if you want to learn more about some of this process, you can listen to the the uh, podcast I did with Kevin Ashford, their brewmaster, uh, uh, I, don't know, I guess that was 2021, summer of 2021. Um, really just phenomenal work there across the, the lager category. Um, and even pale ales and, you know, across the entire spectrum, there's a reason that they've won, uh, you know, Brewery of the Year awards through GABF in the past. Um, just just a beautiful thing. I think the other thing I want to point out about this beer is in talking to Kevin, um, this is a beer that they continue to change, and they, they've made major changes to it after it has won medals. Uh, it's something that they haven't rested their laurel, rest on their laurels with, and they are continuing to try to make it better, uh, to tighten it up, and to make it exactly what it should be at any given point when people are drinking it. Um, so much character, and you can either enjoy it just from a 10,000-foot viewpoint, or you can drill right down and find in all those specifics. It's just something that is, uh, that's absolutely beautiful, no matter what level you want to enjoy it on. And, uh, of course, we did taste it again through that best in beer tasting process just, just because I wanted you, Stan, and everyone else to taste it in that process. It's a delicious beer. Absolutely, yeah. It's one of those where uh, you know, the, the panel will rate something really highly and then you taste it and be like, yep, yep, that is really good. Yep, exactly. Good, good pick. That's done. Easy. Yeah, that was a no-brainer. Yeah, the next one's a, a, was a scored, I think, a 99 by our, our blind panels. Wallen, Palpak, Holly, Hefeweizen. Hefeweizens are, you know, they're not typically a beer that we find on these lists. They're, they're beers that, of course, lots of people enjoy, but it's hard to find that specific Hefeweizen that just rises above hefness you know <laughs> like they're all, there's almost like this line of just hefness right it gets a half you know um you can enjoy it they're good beers but they're just not those beers that strike you in a specific way that says holy crap 
Um, you know, of course, in the past, we've included Sierra Nevada and, and Weinstefan's Brow Pact. And uh, Live Oak Hefeweizen is another one that has made this list in the past. Just an incredible beer. Um, you know, so it's in great company. You know, this one is, you know, maybe strays from a little bit from that, that classical uh, structure of the other two. Some light tropical fruit, a little bit of floral lavender, fluffy, fluffy malt light peppery phenols um you know it doesn't it never gets off into that like crazy banana land that uh you know a lot of hefts can go to thank thankfully um you know just keeps it focused on that kind of tropical floral orientation um but with you know again that kind of structure that's i think what we look for when we find that much fruit flavor in a beer it's got to have that piece to play off against and usually that's you know either a hop or a phenol structure in this case i think it's some blend of both but those phenols are very well and tightly controlled so that it's not necessarily clove it really comes across more just peppery you know um almost to clove without just feeling overwhelming or you know like i'm in a goth club circa 1992 um fantastic beer uh, an incredible one. Uh, excited to include that one on the list. Up next, this is this is a super weird one, Joe. Uh, Cellemaker Training Binds. What a great story in this one. Training Binds, of course, is a pint house recipe, and yet pint house, along with Green Cheek, Cellar Maker, Cloudburst, Alvarado Street, and Highland Park. You know they've got this kind of multi six-way collaboration you know thing that they do um and and in this funny thing uh because we're all friends and because they respect what we do they've been sending us everyone's been sending us their iterations of, of each of these collabs that they do and so last year it was the uh, you've got pale collaboration which was a cellar maker recipe and we just blind judged them for all of them and gave them the results of whose was best we did the same thing with training binds this year and it all co coincided with our ipa issue and so we were able to put it all through our blind review process and score each one of these which was fascinating so the idea is take one recipe and then let's explore uh, what happens with one recipe when brewers who are getting their yeast and hops and malt from different suppliers take that recipe and create their own version of it. This whole project then becomes an exploration of, of what those specific ingredient choices, what your house choices for some of those ingredients can mean. Uh, and as we have tasted and seen through this entire thing, uh, it, it's incredible how little a recipe might matter in and of itself and it's amazing to see just how much the ingredient choice of the brewer and their technical approach and process to extracting what they want out of that recipe can actually do for those finished beers and so in this case uh strangely enough it was cellar makers edition of training binds that ended up topping our judges score sheet with a score of 99 um, kind of an interesting upset strange also because another iteration of this project that they did with Timbo pills from Highland Park uh, resulted in pint house winning a medal for for Highland Park's recipe of Timbo uh, and so it's almost strikingly uh, you know karmic now for cellar maker to win for a pint house recipe. Um, what a what a fun project, what a cool way to collaborate, what a nice way to explore what these things, the impacts of these inputs on finished beers and what that can mean. From what I understand, I think, you know, from what I understand, Cellar Maker maybe very, you know, like 
diverged from the the primary recipe with uh, a little bit extra dry hop. Um, at least that's that's what some of the other competitors are uh, saying did, in this. Did they cheat? Is that the? <laughs> I think uh, cheat. It's, cheat it's is such, such a, a. I mean, the, people talk about collaboration, yeah. Jamie. You know, people talk about collabs are a thing of craft beer, right? It's, it's an important part of craft beer doing collaborations, and this is takes makes other collaborations look like they're not very collab at all. Actually, when you get some of the smartest brewers, especially when it comes to hops in the country who happen to be all friends. And so there's this spirit of cooperation where they're taking turns to each other's recipe, but there's also that competition there um, that's real. And so how are you not going to get some great beer out of that? And then uh, th- th- this was just a joy to, to drink. It was really cool to see, to taste the fruits of that sort of unique uh, collective of, of brewers. We got looped into that entire process too because I reached out, of course, to uh, to uh, Joe Morfell at Pint House, just to ask him for a recipe because, like, hey, if their group can collab on this, wouldn't it be fun if we can let everybody collab and make their own? And of course, we have a recipe for Training Binds Hazy IPA in the issue. Subscribers, go in, access that, check it out, brew your own version of it. Um, Joe, you got the email that Joe Morfeld sent. It's kind of fascinating to see how you know what the framework was that everyone had to approach this recipe from um the things that pint house finds important the way that they stress those things um because it was a very narrative recipe that we have then you know moved into our more you know kind of structured technical form yeah it's a cool peek behind the curtain for us because i i think you know we we talk to brewers all the time but we're not i mean usually can't be there you know when, when you're observing something changes right so if you're there two brewers know you're listening they're going to conversation is going to change but if you're getting this email between them when it, when it was just brewers you're getting this sort of a lot of uh shorthand and jokes and uh and uh, there yeah a story like a narrative almost behind it too and so it's it's kind of cool because a lot of them already know what they're talking about um they do know what they're talking about obviously but they're starting from a different point and so to to read and get this peek into that was was really cool and, and we hope we got some of that across in our write-up and the recipe in the magazine. Check it out. Love Cellar Maker. Of course, love Pine House. Love all the breweries that are collaborating in that. And, uh, of course, you know, you've seen others in the past and even in this current issue in our top 20 beers of the year. Um, they're all no strangers. Uh, yeah, in fact, I mean, they've all been there, haven't they? You know, like Pint House, Green Cheek. Cellar Maker, Cloudburst, Alvarado Street, Honey Park, one, all, all of them have been past beers of the year or, or currently in this issue like Highland Park. Um, I don't know why I didn't have that research uh, at my fingertips and just had to figure that out. But uh, but what a cool thing. Anyway, nonetheless, the next beer, we uh, we drop back into a kind of, I'm not going to call it a throwback because, uh, I mean, they've been here for years. Um, it's Hop and Frog, Den Hog Old Ale. Yeah, this was cool, man. This I was just uh, one of those. This was out of out of blind tasting uh, for the best in beer issue, and um, when you one of those beers was like, okay, we love this. This is really delicious. This is huge character. This is this is fun to taste. Like, um, who is it? And when you find out, it's Hop and Frog. That's fun. Like that was you know that was kind of delightful for me. Hop and Frog is this name from like the Duck Rabbit age of bottle shares. You know, like the aughts. Uh, I was living in Brussels at the time, like 15 years ago, but doing these great beer uh, gatherings. And it was really fun. And Hop and Frog is like one of those 
bombers that somebody might show up with from the States. Um, and so I, I, you know, don't get to drink a lot of Hoppy Frog beers. And so that was kind of fun to, uh, to have that come out. And there's also um, an old schoolness about the character of it. There's um, an assertive bitterness there that has been allowed to age. This is a barrel-aged beer. There's a ton of malt depth to it. Um, and there's just, there's just, there was just so much character packed into it. Um, that it was just a really, really fun beer to taste. You've got, uh, so much malt depth. You've got all the kinds of malt depth. So you're getting um, caramel, but you're also getting dark fruits and some cherry and chocolate, but none of it was, none of it was stepping on the other elements. It all just came together really, really well. Um, another comfort blanket type of beer where it reminded me of uh, Christmas cake and, um, and and yet it was it was not a cloying beer thanks to that big bitterness and it was somehow all balanced together. Such a fun beer to taste. Um, so thank you to Hoppenbrock for sending sending some beer in for the tasting. And it's cool that that we could army for this beer because it's really delicious. A huge beer too. Sixteen point eight percent, not barrel aged. Um, alcohol plays such a, a nice role, but a well structured role. You know, it doesn't feel hot even though it's clearly a big beer. Um, you know, let's avoid that stupid cliche of, oh, you can't even taste the alcohol in this. You know, it's not that that alcohol is there, um, but it plays this kind of artful role in balancing the rest of those flavors and that, that kind of big malt and some of that sweetness. Like, it's there, and it's it's perfectly placed to do exactly what it needs to do. Um, a phenomenal beer. Next beer on our list and our editor's picks for best beers of 2022. Good words. Moments before impending doom. This one's a barrel-aged barley wine. Um, definitely a spicy rum care, rum barrel-aged character to this one. Uh, it was uh, top score in our issue, our barrel, uh, in our barley wine scoring early, earlier this year with our blind panel. Um, I went back to it because I had an extra bottle left of it as I was writing this up for our, for our issue. Uh, of course, good word. We've tasted. We've all, all of us, all of us in the beer world, have been tasting a lot of good words. Good words beer because uh, our Todd from Good Word sends a lot of beer out. You know, he's looking for feedback. He's he's one of those brewers that's constantly trying to get better at what he does and and wants that honest feedback from everybody. Um, but as a, a side, you know, result of that, like a lot of us are very familiar with Good Word because. Again, you know, it sends a lot of beer out there and uh, to a lot of folks. And so we also have touchstones to talk about that with each other. This one, of course, went in front of our blind panel. You know, they uh, they had no idea what the context was. They were tasting this along with other, other barrel-aged barley wines. Um, you know, and the, the kind of spicy character to it uh, just was captivating, you know. Maybe, you know, maybe that kind of holiday-like, uh, you know, dessert spice with an almost curry undertone, um, you know, without feeling weird, you know, was, didn't feel like a joke. It just felt like all of these pieces, um, you know, fit together so nicely. It's a little bit sweet, but it's not very, not exceedingly sweet. It's not, it's certainly not one of these high Play-Doh finishing, um, just win a bottle share by making it, uh, you know, 15 to 20 Play-Doh, you know, finishing gravity kinds of beers. Um, you know, it, it is thoroughly balanced as this kind of spice character offers that drying element amongst the sweetness. And so, uh, you know, so it was there also with its own character as this builds this big, broad idea of flavor 
without it being overwhelming or uh, or being too much. It's a very classic and and beautiful, well done, lightly spiced beer. Um, you know, and of course, uh, thank you to Todd for sharing a recipe for brewing it. If you would like to brew it yourself, the recipe is right there in Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine. Um, next up on our list, Joe, uh, you know, this was uh, an IPA. Finally, we're getting some more IPAs. We've, we're this deep into the list, and we're only on IPA number two. It's a hazy IPA. But this one came out yeah. of – it's a hazy IPA, and it came out of Alaska. Alaska. Middle – Fairbanks, Alaska, even. Well, um, Black Spruce. Yeah, well-known of Hazy IPA, Fairbanks, Alaska. It, what, what I loved about this one, uh, and I, I shouldn't say what I loved, because our blind panel is the one that selected this as one of their favorites of uh, of the year in the IPA issue, in that Hazy IPA category. Um, really big tropical character. Everything that you want out of that Hazy IPA. Thick guava, passion fruit, nectar, orange smoothie. These big, big characters. All these things that are associated with heft and weight. All these things which in less deft fermentations can just become sludgy or, you know, overwhelming. And within the scope of this, uh, of Black Spruce's Aromadome, you know, they felt nimble. Um, you know, they were, uh, you know, I described it as like, you know, vivacious and, and sprightly fruits, honeydew melon, cucumber, yuzu. Like they had this almost like like light, refreshing, you know, edge on some of these bigger tropical characters that just gave it this lightness and brightness that uh, that helped everything convey so beautifully. It was really fun to drink this beer, to explore all of these flavors without getting weighted down, and also with, you know, a little bit of that light, spicy, uh, you know, back note, maybe some uh, peppery arugula, a little bit of, like, dank weed, um, some earth, just kind of grounding these fruitier flavors in this kind of broad-spectrum approach to, to Hazy IPA. Just beautifully done. Loved it. I mean, the quality of ingredients is fantastic, uh, and the quality of execution was uh, was just phenomenal. Uh, I'm really excited to see what comes next out of Black Spruce, and uh, you know, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, first beers they've ever sent to us um, to make a splash like that. I mean, you've got my attention. What's next? Can't wait to see what's coming. For sure, it was a really lovely beer. Next up in our best beers of 2022, Creature Comforts Crop Colors. Pink Dawn. Uh, talk to me about this beer, Joe. Well, I think this kind of, uh, I think the process of some of these uh, beers is really fascinating. I'm talking about mixed fermentation beers with fruit. I think we all know there was a, a big, uh, maybe maybe people overinvested in mixed fermentation in, in barrels some years ago. And then I'm not talking necessarily about creature comforts here. I'm just saying in general, right? So breweries are sitting on some barrel stock sometimes, and then they don't always maybe know what they're going to do with it. Um, and so the story of this beer, whether it was planned or not, I have no idea, but I, but I like thinking about how maybe it could have just been, they figured it out one step at a time. So you had some, some, uh, you know, tart beer, the first, or bear, some beer, the first one into barrels back in 2018, right? In barrels for a year or two, then it goes on some local grape pomace for six months. Okay, sure. And then on to some local strawberries. For eight weeks, apparently a lot of strawberries, given the beautiful flavor of this beer, and then into some bottles with a little bit of homemade lavender simple syrup. Because sure, why not? Uh, that the brewers made themselves. Yeah. I mean, that is craft, man. And 
the product just is a really beautiful thing to drink in the end. No matter how it made, no matter how it came together, no matter how planned out or not it was from the beginning, the way these things turn out, I think, is is really fascinating, um, especially when it works like this, because this is a stunning beer. Um, the nose, of, it's like a you know nice orange gold color, some surprising foam on it. Always happy when you get foam on a, on a mixed firm beer, right? Uh, and then there's just like this seedy, pulpy, mashed up strawberry, like you were baking a pie at home or something. And, and uh, it was real strawberry in the nose there, you know, not, not jam and not puree. It was just, just like fat, fleshy strawberries. Uh, and then uh, the, the acidity was gentle. It was tart, but it wasn't sharp. Uh, and this, there's this like fleshy berry middle through it. And then these little peppery elements from from the fermentation and yeast that they, they drive interests and were totally just accenting the fruit, um, but been balanced with everything. So and the other elements, grapes and herbal character, everything was just sort of there as, as complements supporting that fruit. And it just, it worked so well that I have, was forced to consider maybe that was the master plan all along to make this thing. Anyway, Pink Dawn, beautiful beer from Creature Comforts out of Athens, Georgia. That's three Georgia beers in this list, right? Wow. Oh, is that? Wow. Look at that. Yeah, you're right. Right. Good words, halfway, a good word, halfway crooks, and uh, and now Creature Comforts. Man, out, out there. Uh, fantastic to see that. Of course, you know, Blake, the the uh, you know head of those that beer program for Creature Comforts, Blake Tires, uh, has, has always made phenomenal beers. It's exciting to see this one, uh, you know, hit here with you all through this blind tasting. Um, I knew what it was as you were tasting it. And I was, when I saw our judges respond to it in that kind of way, uh, it just made me, made me feel a little warm inside. Very, very cool. Next up, uh, was one that our judges, you know, put onto this list th again through our, uh, our stout issue this year, uh, Wiley Roots, Vanilla Homonym, uh, super, and just what an incredible beer. They, Wiley Roots this year, had a score of 99 for their beer, their barrel aged stout cryptonym. And this the vanilla homonym scored a perfect 100 with our judges. Um, and it did it on the strength of focus. You know, this is not the thickest vanilla stout out there. This was not just the, you know, the, the sweetest and most silky and biggest bodied, you know, of those stouts. I think, uh, I think we're entering a post thick world. Um, yeah, I, maybe I'm, maybe I'm a little early on this, but I, I can see it happening. I can see us transitioning out of that, uh, uh, thickness is top ratedness. Um, you know, maybe, maybe the, maybe the untapped crowd is not quite there yet, but I can see, I can see this as the eventual future. And I think Wiley Roots is on, on top of that. Uh, you know, it definitely privileged the idea of cohesive flavor, of pulling together everything that you want in that stout. You know, the chocolate, that roasted nuts, a little bit like, you know, higher milk chocolate flavors, deeper dark chocolate flavors, little, you know, cocoa, uh, that coffee roast character, pulling that all together with that kind of softer vanilla um, into this cohesive whole, just made for a, a phenomenal beer. You know, Rather than cranking up sweetness, they pulled. They just focused on honing all these pieces together, and, and it's just a just a beautiful beer. Again, not the thickest out there, but definitely for our judges, uh, one of the best. Next up, barley wine, Joe. You all responded to this one through our blind uh, tasting for best in beer, right? 
I mean, you know, thinking about places where, man, what's going on? Then there must be something in the water. What's the deal with Decorah, Iowa? Anyways, anyways, this is Pulpit Rock, uh, in collaboration with Horace Aged Ales. The beer is how we get along, and I know this may be hard for some to believe, but not everyone spends a lot of time tasting barrel aged imperial stouts and barley wines. So the idea of combining them into a, the same beer, blending them, may not be intuitive for everyone. In fact, kind of on the surface to me strikes me as odd. Of course, if you think about it, it makes perfect sense from a sensory standpoint, especially barrel aged beers. Some imperial stouts have those fruit characters, some imperial stouts, or uh, some barley wines get that roasty edges. So it, it, it makes sense. It makes perfect sense. Then when you taste one, it's like, Oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. And this was one of those where we we I would, didn't fully know what it was. I think when we were tasting it necessarily, but um, it's just that naughty decadent richness there. So much body to it that makes these kinds of beers so fun these days. Um, I do think we need a better name for these imperial style barley wine blends. I don't know what that is. I think black wine is kind of edgy. That'd be kind of cool. Um, don't call it stouty wine. It's the worst name I've seen anyone use wine. for this kind of. Yeah. Uh, oh god, okay. it's just the worst. No, it's going to catch on. It's got it. It's got I, I, black. Black wine sounds sounds awesome. Kind of edgy. Um, I like it. I don't know. I've heard black barley wine, but I, that doesn't necessarily have stout in it. I think the black barley. Wine. So I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah. But this just the legs on this thing. Like you just before you know, of course you can smell it immediately. But but the uh, uh, the legs on it just are warn you what's what's about to happen and um there's just this uh gestalt there this this greater than some of its parts combination of dark chocolate elements and rich uh toothsome dark fruit that all works together really well um, and then the there's plenty of alcohol but it's not it's not uh, punching you in the in the head either it's 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 there just to support everything else I was getting like chocolate covered figs and cherries and, and um, just uh, it would be a great, you know, after Christmas kind of sipping by the fireside deal to uh, such a cliche. I hate that I just said that, but I did. I sent it and I meant it. Stan was ready to like take yeah. this beer and, and pour it over his uh, blue corn pancakes. That was what he declared. Um, and we were just sort of happy to, to sip it and, and, and let it do its work on our brains. It was a lovely beer from Pulpit Rock out of the Poor Eye. Next up on our list is a Pills. So this is a place I would love to visit. This is Twin Barns Brewery in Meredith, New Hampshire. Uh, it just looks like a lovely place to be. The brewery is an old barn near the shores of Lake Winnipesaukee. Like, sounds like a place I would have gone to camp as a kid, although I never went to camp, but I always wanted to. I saw the movies. And it just looks like that kind of place. It's cool. The brewer's name's Randy Booth. He studied journalism, so we like that. But he went on to to become a professional brewer. He's from that area, but he brewed at Wiley Roots uh, in Greeley in Colorado, among other places. And then he went home to be a head brewer at Twin Barns. And so in my critics picks, I talk about German style Pilsner. So I'm happy to see more of them coming around and, and having this sort of evident uh, hop bitterness to them. And this is one of those. It's got the Hautel Middlefruh and Czech Saws. Czechs, okay, he's German enough. Anyways, it's old world hop. It works. Um, it's, it works here beautifully. Our, our judging panel loved it. Um, and for a beer like this to work, you've got to have that enough of a malt base too. There's so many out there that have a, kind of in, in the States. I'm, I'm calling you out American lager brewers who are just messing around. 
Uh, if your malt base is too thin and wan, then um, you're going to taste hops, but the malt is not really going to hold it all together and make this beautiful kind of harmonious package that a Pilsner ought to be. And, and this beer does that. It's called the Belknap Pils. Um, and after, you know, tasting it, hearing about it, I, I definitely would like to get to uh, the shores of Lake Wampasaki and taste what else they've got over there. Sure. Next up um, on our list of top beers of 2022, King Harbor Choco Latte. This is a 6.2% uh, kind of flavored stout. Um, you know, we had two beers in that stout issue from King Harbor uh, with adjunct ingredients that both were in consideration for this. I think we opted for Choco Latte, number one, because we love that mole spice, and number two, because it was a 6.2% flavored beer and we had plenty of imperial stouts on there can't forget this kind of smaller abv range in this more drinkable package but also balancing that spice character and something that's so small pulling that kind of uh cinnamon you know along with uh you know all of this kind of chocolate character cocoa um, this kind of nutty coffee element to it pulling all of that together and being able to balance that in a 6.2 percent package is certainly a it, you know, it's a, it's a fantastic achievement. Um, it is hard to capture all of those big flavors and do that in such a uh, you know tight package. You know, you're working within within such tight guide rails, and so you know we can certainly respect the technical achievement that's involved in that. Technical achievement alone does not get you on this list of best beers of 2022. Um, you have to take that technical achievement and also achieve something else that's interesting and that moves the needle um, and is captivating. And they absolutely do that with and I. I think with this beer, you know, that vanilla becomes the glue that holds it together. It's light, it's small, it's just, it gives you the hint of sweetness without actual sweetness. It makes you think that it's sweeter than it is, um, you know, but I think that pulls this whole thing together in this beautiful, cohesive kind of way. Um, I would love to see more of these flavored stouts in this kind of drinkable ABV territory rather than in that big imperial space. Um, maybe that's just my own personal political point that I would like to make about this. Um, but I think that it's nice to see this kind of thing. And certainly such a thoughtful, well-considered and well-executed beer in this smaller kind of space from a brewery that, uh, you know, has just kind of popped up and had a number of fantastic beers that our judges have very responded to very positively over the course of the past year. I mean, it was just time. It was just you know, like, this is going to be King Harbor's year. They just had a number of beers that were knocking on that door with high scores across all of these categories. And then of course, in the stout issue, they nailed it with two different beers, both at the, just the top of the score range. Um, such a cool thing and awesome to, to, you know, find brewers performing at this level who, uh, you know, uh, just came onto our radar by sending us beer and earning it through that blind review process. Next up is a California pills from our friends at North Park down in San Diego. The beer is called Birdie to Bogey. This one just crushed it, crushed it in our lager issue. I think it was a 99 in our lager issue. Uh, um, you know, and we had to create a category now this year for this kind of West Coast or California pills because uh, it's evolving. It's a real thing, and a lot of brewers sent them to us enough to create their own their own category for it. Um, obviously, if you follow any of the competitions, you know that uh, 
North Park is, we're not the only ones to be celebrating North Park this year. They won four medals at GABF this past year. They won the American IPA category gold at the World Beer Cup in Minneapolis. I mean, there's, we all know that uh, uh, Kelsey McNair and his brewing team are just absolutely crushing it in North Park. If you want to hear about some of their innovative techniques in the IPA realm, listen to the podcast that I did with them. It's pretty awesome and incredible to hear what they're doing around that. But they can also play right here in this kind of West Coast Pilsner space. Um, my goodness, does this beer just let those hops shine? Um, but does it within that kind of familiar Pilsner, uh, you know, kind of context, it still has a little bit of that sulfur element. It still has, you know, that kind of, uh, you know, you know, white grape pear, fresh cut grass, you know, know, peppery tropical bitterness piece, you know, it has those, you know, it's a deft thing to try to capture Pilsner ish character. And I say Pilsner-ish, thinking about that one social media uh, account. I shouldn't. I shouldn't call it that. That Pilsner-like character, um, Pilsner-like character within this context of West Coast uh, modern contemporary hops. Uh, it's definitely evolving thing. It's certainly something that can trigger people that aren't open to change. Uh, maybe there's going to be a better word in the future for it than calling it something like California Pils or West Coast Pilsner. I don't know. We'll figure all of that out in the future. What I do know is that this beer is phenomenal, worth drinking, and I'm so glad not only that this style exists, that brewers, especially on the West Coast, are pushing things in this kind of direction, figuring out what's possible, but finding a way to make them also feel grounded and uh, connected to some sort of tradition there while also pushing it forward. It's almost like figurative artists, uh, you know, branching out into abstraction, you know, knowing that they've, they are capable of painting in a figurative style, but then choosing to express themselves through abstraction. That's what I feel like with, with some of these, uh, California breweries playing in this kind of space, you know, they're capable of making beautiful directly to style lager beers. And it's only because they're capable of doing that that when they branch out into this kind of creative approach that they can make these beers as compelling as they are. All right, next up on our list, uh, Urban Artifact Teak. Joe, this is our last beer of our top 20 of 2022, um, and it's a sweet tiki-style fruit beer. Let's not even call – we're not going to use the S word around this one. (laughs) I wouldn't use the S word around this at all, no. Uh, it, it but it is a tart beer, but it's but it's uh it's balanced, right? It's it's all about the fruit and urban artifact in Cincinnati. Um, those folks know what they're doing when it comes to getting out those fruit flavors. I, I think as as fruit beer specialists at this point, I think it's fair to call them that. Um, it's easy to imagine uh, a lot of the brewers out there making fruit beers just dumping a bunch of puree in and figuring it's it's going to taste good enough. And these guys are are not that. They they are using plenty of period of course but there's so much more uh to their process um that that we're learning about it was just really kind of fascinating and the, the signature kind of hallmark of i think of urban artifact fruit beers is that sort of clean dry finish so you get this big punchy fruit character and then it finishes like like it's just gone it's like man gotta drink more of that I gotta start gotta start over again on that so it's uh really compelling stuff one of my favorite beers that i had all year actually was the gadget from them I was in Louisville visiting friends and picked some of that up. The Midwest tart beer, I think they call it, something like that. And just full of berries. Midwest fruit tart. Yeah, it's just full of berry and and fun to drink and really just easily delicious. Um, 
And so that was fruit tart. I mean, really, yeah. that's a great way to describe these that, beers. That's right? what they call them. That's what they call them. And this is an, this is what they call an American fruit tart. It, teak is a tropical American fruit tart. This one's got pineapple and pink guava and there's limes in there. Uh, and it's a funny thing is how often um, it notes coconut will pop up in there too. Like people think they get it, but I think it's just that strong suggestion of pina colada, what I call the umbrella drink mind trick. Um, and it just adds this sort of, I mean, it's teak, is tiki. It definitely hits that note. It, it delivers as promised. Um, for all that sort of, it, it could go wrong in so many different ways. It could be cloying. It could be too sharp and sour. It, it never goes wrong in this beer. It's, um, the balance is, is lovely on it. It's very easy to drink. Um, it's easy to imagine uh, being on vacation and, and your, your aunt's mixing up cocktails in the blender and, and you're waiting for your next one and, and getting happily buzzed uh, as the waves hit the shore. It's that kind of beer. Um, fun beer to drink. And so thank you to the folks at Urban Artifact for, for taking your the art of food beer so seriously um, because it, it is uh, one of the most entertaining and compelling categories in American beer today, in my opinion, food beer. So another thing about this beer is that uh, Brett Coleman Baker at Urban Artifact has sent us a recipe for teak. It's in my back pocket right now. Uh, and it's going to be, we can announce this now, the inaugural all-access recipe. It's going to be a new feature for our all-access subscribers. Every other week, you're going to get an exclusive recipe that has not yet appeared in the magazine and may never appear in the magazine. It's hard to say. But, uh, and we have a lot more space there where brewers can add thoughts and notes and things. And so you can get peek behind uh, the way breweries like Urban Artifact brew these kinds of beers. And it's going to be, I think, really cool. I'm excited about it. So if you are not an all-access subscriber, you should consider it. Uh, and if you are an all-access subscriber, then you can look forward to seeing that in your inbox uh, later this week. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Subscribe. Support what we do. You know, an urban artifact. The the intention that they approach this with is is so incredible. You know, build. They've they are in a lot of ways like they're using uh, non aseptic puree. They're going through a process with a, with a number of their ingredients, and and they're taking ingredient by ingredient approach. Um, they've got their own cooker to cook. You know, pasteurize their own puree. You know, they're they're really looking at how to get the best flavor possible, and however they can do that using whichever products are going to help them achieve that. Um, and it's a level again of intention that's awesome to see in this category of beer. And it's why I think there's rise, you know, to the top of this kind of category. Um, such a, such a cool thing. Anyway, that is our top 20 beers, our editor's picks for the top 20 beers of 2022. Um, we've got a few more reader choice categories to cover before we get out of here. The, the next category we're going to talk about are your votes for homebrew brands of the year. And that number 10 spot, Bayou. Number nine, Sabco. Number eight, Spike. Number seven, Tilt. Number six is Anvil. Number five, you voted for more beer. Number four, The Grainfather. Number three, Inkbird. Number two is also number two last year, Blickman. And in the number one spot this year, SS Brewtech took the homebrew brand of the year. Honors. Um, the next category we're going to go through is your favorite homebrew gear. And again, there's 15 in this category. We're going to read the top 10. Number 10 was the Spike Flex Plus. Number 9, SS Brutex Chronicle. 
at the number eight spot, the Anton Parr Easy Dens, something that I'm seeing uh, spanning across homebrew and professional I love mine. brewing installations. I love it. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Number seven, the SS Brewtech Infusion Mash Ton. Number six, the SS Brewtech Brew Bucket. The number five, the Grainfather G40 system. Number four, you voted for the SS Brewtech Unitank. Number three, the Tilt Hydrometer. Number two, the Anvil Foundry system. And in the number one spot, the Grainfather G30. We've got one reader category left, and that is most popular beer styles. Um, always an interesting one to go through here. And uh, one where we've noticed some changes this year. Um, in the let's let's go to the very bottom of the list. We added a few more just to just to capture a few more things this year. Um, at that very low end of the beer style list, but not the lowest, just the lowest that made it onto the list. Smoked beer cranking out just about ten percent of the votes for your favorite beer style. Brown ale slightly above that one. Barley wine right around that fifteen percent mark. Quick or kettle sour slightly above that one. Wild and sour ale, just eking it out over quick and kettle sour. Half of Weizen or wheat, slightly above that one. We're still at about the 17% range now. Right around 18, we've got amber and red, um, just slightly above that. English styles, Abbey styles, ever so slightly above that. Porter, just a little bit above that. Vienna lager, eking it out at about the 19, 19.5% point. Um, small stouts just peaking above the 20% range. Hellas hits in that about 24-ish uh, percent. Um, Saison is is just neck and neck with Hellas, but ever so slightly ahead of it. Imperial Stout hits that 25% range. And then we get into the big four. Um, a large jump from that kind of 25% point up to the 40% of you that voted for Pale Ale as a favorite style. And then about 42% of you voted for Kraft Pilsner as a favorite style. But let's let's give it to Kraft Pilsner as the number three of in, on your list of most popular beer styles. Um, think about how different that is now. Seriously. Than that than what than what this list looked like when we we first compiled it, um, where Kraft Pilsner was nowhere close to that point. In the number two spot at around 45% of the votes, Hazy IPA. And in the number one spot at about 60% of you saying it was your favorite beer style, uh, the American or West Coast IPA. It's a shame everyone didn't get the memo that West Coast IPA is dead. I mean, it's kind of a shame, right? I mean, if they knew, would they really vote for it like this? I mean, it, it really is a shame. Um, but yes, once again, once again, American or West Coast IPA is your favorite style of beer. I don't think anyone is really that surprised to see that up there. No, I think it's fascinating. <laughs> to see. I mean, obviously, our readers are, are brewers predominantly. So uh, also just some hardcore beer geeks I know are there, too. But it's, it's kind of interesting to see because to me, on most tap lists, I'm still seeing Hazy's outnumbered. Uh, West Coast American IPAs and such, um, but but the, it's not necessarily what uh, those of us who do beer for fun or for uh, for a living want necessarily. 
Well, there you go. That brings to a close our run through of our best in 2022. Um, both our readers' choice or editors' picks and our readers' choice. Um, we try to approach this subject of best in beer from all of these different directions. Another direction that we approach it from is asking our critics for their opinion. Um, and like I said at the top of the uh, at the episode, this Friday our critics list edition of best in beer will pop out through the podcast feed. So check that out for the opinions of our critics, some of what their top 10 favorite beers were this year. Um, there's no one idea of best. You know, one of the ways that we love to approach this is just through multiplicity. Um, you know, creating this uh, stack rank or this is better than this or, you know, just you feel like, too narrow of ways to describe all of these things. And so we try to take a broad approach, both asking you, our readers, as well as sharing our critics' opinions, um, trusting our blind panel, and kind of coming at best through all of these different kinds of channels. Thanks for listening to us on this. For nearly 30 years, GD Chillers has set the mark for quality equipment. You can rely on filled like a pro with pro fill can fillers from Pro Brew. Think outside the puree box with Old Orchard's Craft Concentrate Blends. American Canning provides packaging supplies at competitive prices in order quantities catered to craft. ABS Commercial is a full-service brewery outfitter for brewers across the country and craft the perfect pour with superior fruit from the perfect puree. As always, and especially with this issue, go to beerandbrewing.com, click on that subscribe button, let us know this content matters to you. Uh, if you haven't seen a copy of the issue because for some reason, you're not a subscriber yet. Uh, you don't want to miss all of the depth of content in this issue because, in addition, even to this best in beer, this best in beer content, we've got an entire feature package on brewing those fruit beers. Those fruit beers, not even not sour, not even tart. We're just going to call them fruit beers. American fruit beer. Um, American fruit beer with some some deep content on brewing your best versions of those. Um, you know, there's of course broader content through all of this best that we're not covering here on this podcast because we are just out of time. So go to beerandbrewing.com, subscribe to the magazine, get that digital copy, uh, get that print copy mailed to you, become a subscriber, support what we do. We appreciate it. We couldn't bring it to you without your support. Um, we directly depend on your subscriptions to be able to do what we do to support all the beer, the ecosystem of beer content creators, writers, journalists, um, and through this entire process that we do. Uh, and so thank you all for supporting us on this. Joe, it's been fun to chat. Uh, we'll talk again on Friday for the critics uh, for the critics uh, edition of the podcast where you will share your top personal top 10 beers on top of this. Um, you know, as always, it's uh, it's been fantastic. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine. For those that love to make and drink great beer, learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew.